All right, Jesse, it is the new year. What do you have for the first love murder case of 2024? When an active duty army sergeant and loving father is gunned down on New Year's Eve, the authorities launch into an immediate investigation. After days of leads result in dead ends, the police finally get an anonymous tip that blows the whole case wide open and also reveals a devastating betrayal. I'm Andy Cassette. And I'm Jesse Bray, and this is Love Murder. Jesse. Welcome back, everyone, to Love Murder, a podcast about New Year's, hopes and fears, and love gone fatally wrong. You can find Love Murder on TikTok and Instagram at Love Murder Pod and on Facebook by searching Love Murder Podcast. If you are enjoying the show, pretty please love slash murder a five-star rating on your podcast app, subscribe, and review to help new people discover the show. Also, if you're interested in supporting the show more directly, head on over to patreon.com slash lovemurderpod where you can learn all about the different tiers of support. We are so excited to shout out an amazing new set of patrons this week. I feel like this is our, our holiday bunch. Those that gifted themselves or were gifted <laughs> Patreon membership. So happy holidays to all of y'all and welcome to Patreon in 2024 to Christy O, Rachel D, and Jacqueline HK, Christy D, JW, and Maureen F, Melissa A, Nadia F, and Anna O. Cassandra R, Shelly R, and Karen B, and Casey D, Kara M, and Julia B. Another amazing group of patrons. We could not do the show without you guys. Thank you so much for being patrons. Thank you so much for sharing this show with your friends and just listening in general. So I have Andy. Andy already like sent me a long email with her love murder resolutions. <laughs> so I still have to go through that, Andy. But I have two quick resolutions specifically for the podcast that I thought I would share with Andy and all of you. And I know some of you like it that we usually hop like right into the story. So just feel free to skip forward if this isn't your jam. You don't want to hear the love murder resolutions as read by Jesse. <laughs> it's not your jelly. It's not your jelly. That's okay. Just skip, skip, skip. The first resolution is that I do promise this year, I'm not promising when, I will get the book club started. So fingers crossed I'll be able to announce that at some point this spring or summer because I know so many of you are interested and we've gotten so many messages about it. And it actually warms my heart that so many of you guys are huge readers. I love that. So I definitely want to honor that by making this book club happen. I just have to figure out how it works and devote some time to it. And I'm hoping to have more time because this brings us to resolution number two is after three and a half years of doing entirely all of the research and writing by myself, I am finally ready to hire a researcher. Yay! Yay! So if y'all know any true crime researchers, you are a true crime researcher, this is something that you have a background in. For whatever reason, please email us at lovers at lovemurder.love. I already have like my feelers out to some other people that have some connections, but it would be great if it was somebody who was familiar with our show and somebody who maybe had a diverse voice would be lovely because Andy and I have been having many conversations about how we want to present more diverse cases 
than we have in the past. And a big reason for that is that you guys know how I have mostly worked almost exclusively from big time true crime authors and their full length books. And seriously, such a shout out to those authors because they do such hard work and that gives me the ability to give you guys the inside scoop. However, just like so much of all media, those cases are mostly focused on white straight people. So in an effort to tell more diverse stories, I'm really hoping that we can find a great researcher or a couple to help me out with finding more interesting stories because Love Gone Wrong affects all communities and all people of all colors and walks of life. So we definitely want to be able to share with you a wide variety of stories. And that being said, hopefully having somebody that helps me find out as much information as some of these amazing true crime authors will enable us to tell stories that are less told to you. Yes, that all sounds amazing. So those are my resolutions. Andy and I have to go through her PowerPoint later on. So <laughs> today's episode is time appropriate, but also it's appropriate to the fact that we are committed to telling more diverse stories in 2024 because this is unfortunately the story of a brilliant and lovely black sergeant in the army who is gunned down. Ooh. And that is what we will be talking about today. So somehow I managed to get the timing right on that because it occurs, Andy, on New Year's Eve. It's a pretty uh, sad way to end a year. It's devastating, especially because the man we'll be talking about today, Sergeant Tyrone Hassel III, is an incredible human being. But I don't want to give too much away. So I should probably jump right into it with my third resolution being to get right to the story faster. Okay, you do that already, but let's hear it now. It was just after 11 p.m. on New Year's Eve 2018 when 911 received a call from a desperate woman. The woman's name was Kamaya Hassel, and her husband had just been shot in the driveway of his father's house in Benton Harbor, Michigan. That New Year's Eve was mild enough that only rain fell in place of snow, but it was still a cold, frozen rain, sleet-filled night. Two different units from St. Joseph Township Police, along with a medical unit, arrived on the scene within minutes. There, they found 21-year-old Kamaya hysterical and clutching her 23-year-old husband, Army Sergeant Tyrone Hassel III. Kamaya was in the military as well, and upon hearing the shots and discovering her husband outside of the house she had been inside previously, she immediately called 911 and then performed CPR. Tyrone was still breathing, but his survival looked grim. He had been shot many times in the head, neck, and shoulder. Oh, my God. As they loaded Tyrone into the ambulance to rush him to the hospital, his father arrived on the scene. Tyrone Jr., his father, was completely stunned. How could this have happened to his son? He didn't even live there. Kamaya and Ty were both stationed in Georgia and they had only been in Michigan for the holidays. Besides, this man, Ty, who had been shot, did not have an enemy in the world. He had always been the type of kid who made all of the right choices. He was a great guy, a good kid, the kind of guy who was an inspiration to his family, friends, and community, a man who wanted nothing more than to serve his country and raise his family. Ty's stepmother, Ashanti, was working that night as an ER nurse. She was the first to hear from the doctors that just after midnight on New Year's Day, Ty had died. He hadn't made it. The loss was devastating to this family. 
it would spur Tyrone Jr. to seek justice for his son. No matter how difficult or arduous the journey would be, a family would come together, and then eventually the police would chase down numerous false leads before receiving an anonymous tip that would blow this case open and reveal a heartbreaking betrayal. So let's start by talking about Tyrone Hassel III. By all accounts, he was just an incredible kid. Even on this YouTube video that I watched later, which, oh, by the way, guys, I don't have a book today for reasons we talked about earlier in the intro. (laughs) But this has been featured on quite a few true crime shows. So I watched Snapped, A&E's Killer Cases, The Murder Tapes, American Justice. There's a YouTube video I'll talk about later, but I'm linking all of these as well as the numerous articles I also looked at for this case in our show notes. So please check those for all of the sources for this case. And there was literally also a woman that had been his teacher who commented that this was the last student she would have ever expected to be dying of gunshot wounds on the streets of Benton Harbor because he was such an incredible kid. His mother, LaShonda, said that he had this incredible energy. Wait, his mother, Ashan. So his stepmother is Ashanti and his mother is LaShonda. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, cool, cool. And so his mother, LaShonda, said that he right away had all of this energy as a little kid and she could just tell, like he was this firecracker that he was going to go places. His parents did divorce when he was 10 and eventually his father, Tyrone Jr., married Ashanti, the emergency nurse that we talked about in the beginning. But he ended up having two really big families and he was close to both of them. So nice. Yes, he kind of became a linchpin for especially his younger siblings. Okay. It sounds like everyone looked up to him. How many siblings did he have? He had, I think, something like six. Wow. Okay, cool. Between half-siblings and step-siblings. And they looked up to him for very good reason. He was 100% the one that inspired everyone in the family. He was on the honor roll from elementary school all the way through high school. And he was extremely successful at several sports. He was the best at baseball where he was an all-around athlete. But he also played basketball. He ran track. He was an accomplished boxer. So all of that hard work led him to receive an academic scholarship to Grand Valley State University where he continued to flourish. In 2015, though, Ty was in his second year of college when he had a realization. He wanted to join the army and he wanted to serve his country, very specifically for that reason. With his intelligence and academic background, Ty would train and serve as a mechanical engineer. Wow. His parents were, of course, a little apprehensive. I think that almost every parent, even military parents who are so proud of their kids for joining up, you know, has that moment of hesitancy because it's obviously very difficult. There's a lot of danger. That's committing to a very hard life and an uncertain life. But they said that when they saw him graduate from basic training, it was very emotional. And they were extremely proud of him for walking that path. Of course. So Ty continued to achieve. I mean, this was who he was, it seems like. He had enlisted in 2015 and had already achieved the rank of sergeant by the time he was killed in 2018. So when you said sergeant, I was expecting someone in their like 40s or 50s. Yeah, not somebody who's 23 years old. No, that's a baby. 
But that's what a star he was. I mean, this is a very fast rise through the ranks for somebody still relatively new to the military. Yeah. Ty found purpose. And that was his nickname, Ty. And since his father is also a Tyrone, I think I'm going to be mostly calling our Ty, Sergeant Ty, Ty, and his dad, Tyrone Jr. Okay, cool. So Ty found purpose in the army, but he also found something even better. Love. <laughs> L-L-V-E. True love. So Ty met a cute girl named Kamaya when they were both at basic training, but the relationship did not blossom into romance until they happened to be stationed together in Colorado. Kamaya had joined the army right out of high school, so she was just a little bit younger than Ty. She was from the Atlanta, Georgia area, and she had always achieved good grades in high school, so she had that in common with Ty. By all accounts, Kamaya had been raised in a good family, and she had a very sweet and bubbly personality. Ty was really sprung right from the get-go with Kamaya. Everyone said that he was in love with her very quickly. His father, Tyrone Jr., said that he had to talk him down from marrying her right away. Yeah, okay. Because he was not only in love with her, but the military also gives you financial incentives for being married. So it was like to them a no-brainer to get married really quickly. And that was something that Tyrone Jr. was cautioning against. He's like, she seems like a great girl, but, you know, pump the brakes. You're still really young and figure out if this is right for you. Well, after a year of dating, Tyrone III really thought she was. He was like, this is it. I'm not going to change my mind. We've been dating for a year. We are very similar. We have the same goals. We want the same things. We're getting married. So they got married one year after dating. And this was not a problem for either family. I know that Ty's family really loved Kamaya. They took to her immediately. They said she was extremely warm. Like right from the get, she was calling them mom and dad. She seemed very genuine. She was very loving. And it seemed like a beautiful relationship. So everybody is a big fan of all of this that's going on. And they got even more excited when they announced that they were having a baby. Through it all, even after Kamaya got pregnant and he was expecting his own child, Ty remained very family-oriented. He and Kamaya even had one of his siblings live with them for a little while while they were in Colorado. And this was because I think it was his, his younger brother was deciding what he wanted to do with his life. And his father, Tyrone Jr., said that it was an opportunity for this younger son to see what was out there in the world and figure out his path. So I think that even as he's embarking on being the lead paternal figure in his own unit, he was still very committed to his families of birth. Yeah. And then this is just like blowing my mind. How old is he when this is all happening? So they ended up having a son and the son was named Tyrone the Fourth. Wow. Yep. And they nicknamed him Chunk. <laughs> a little Chunk. I'm guessing he was Chunky. That's my assumption. I'm guessing, yeah. Yes. And so he was just shy of two when Tyrone was killed. So they had him when Tyrone was 21, and so they got pregnant when they were like 20. I think so. That would make sense to me. I don't know exactly when Tyrone was about to turn 24, though, because Kamaya turned 22 only a couple of days after the murder. But still, extremely young. They married young. They were definitely already married, I believe, when they had their baby. Such a life. It's very intense. I mean, they moved fast. I mean, they were hooked in fast. They were 
both tracking through the military, they both had determined that that was going to be their lifelong careers. Yep. And they have support from the military, too, for their new family. I mean, it makes sense when you're like, it seems like the military is such a rigorous, intense environment in general. And I could imagine like things moving faster if you end up finding who you think is like the love of your life in that environment. Yeah, I'm always surprised. We've talked about it on several shows about people who are so young and very sure of what they want. Yeah. And that definitely seems like Ty. It seemed like Ty had these younger half-siblings or step-siblings, and he had been a junior-level parental figure, a big brother figure for so long that being – and also his father's incredible. His father's on every single show. He's on the YouTube video I'm going to mention later. And he is just such a strong, calming presence that I get the impression that he was a strong father figure to Ty. And so I think he wanted to carry that on. So when Tyrone the fourth little chunk was about to turn one or just about one, both Ty and Kamaya were deployed to South Korea. Wow. So do you bring the baby? No. In their case, they left the baby with their family. I think that the baby spent most of their time, I think Chunk was with Tyrone Jr. and his wife Ashanti, and then also spending time with Kamaya's family as well. So I think they split the time for the baby. This is obviously very difficult. I think that deployments are extremely difficult on military families in general, but I can't even imagine how hard they must be on two active duty military spouses who are both deployed at the same time. Who just had a baby a year ago. Yes. That is unbelievable. Unbelievably difficult. But Ashanti is on one of the shows, I think it was The Snapped, and she said that when Tyrone IV was in their care, Ty was FaceTiming twice a day to see him. He was still making sure that that connection was very strong. Luckily, they were both sent home after several months in Korea, and in October of 2018, they were restationed together in Fort Stewart in Georgia. So all seemed very well with the couple, who were thrilled to be reunited with their son, and they both had a decent block of leave for the holidays, which of course isn't always guaranteed. Ty was especially excited to return to Benton Harbor to visit his dad, and this is where he had grown up, so this is his hometown. And his dad mentions on one of the shows that He was really excited for his dad's home cooking. (laughs) Tyrone Jr. said, deep fried turkey, mac and cheese, like putting out a whole spread. I was like, that sounds great. You can invite me to dinner. (laughs) (laughs) He was also excited to spend time with his siblings, cousins, and extended family. It seemed like the Hassel family was well known and pretty large in this area. They had a lot of connections, a lot of cousins, a lot of old friends. Ty was also planning at this point to have one of his little sisters move in with him and Kamaya in Georgia in the new year. It seems like this was an opportunity he wanted to give all of his younger siblings a chance to live with them and get a chance to be on their own and figure out their life. So this guy is just really wholesome. He's obviously a good brother, a good son. He's a good husband. He's a good father. He's a good sergeant, I'm guessing, by how he rose through the ranks. And naturally, his family was delighted to have him home. So he and Kamaya and Baby Chunk were staying at Tyrone's dad's house. So they're at Tyrone Jr.'s house. And in general, this holiday visit had been a massive success. On New Year's Eve, Ty's cousins had a family party that was only a couple miles away from Tyrone Jr.'s house. They said it was about a six-minute drive away. 
because obviously someone needed to stay home with the little guy who is just shy of two years old. Kamaya said that she would stay home at Tyrone Jr.'s house with the baby. And Ty was going to go to the party with his dad and they were just kind of cooking and hanging out. Well, Ashanti, Tyrone Jr.'s wife, was working that night as an ER nurse. Just before 11 o'clock that night, Ty drove back to his dad's house to bring Kamaya and their child a couple plates of food from the party and check in on them. So Kamaya said that he came in with the food. He had two plates. But he didn't end up staying super long because he wanted to get back to the party before midnight. Okay. And I believe she had just gotten the baby back to bed because I think she had just settled him into sleep when she said goodnight to Ty and she said that he left, he left through the door and she was basically sitting down to tuck into the food when all of a sudden she heard multiple gunshots that were extremely close to the house, it would seem. So aggressive. Yes. So Kamaya ran out to the driveway where she found Ty lying in a pool of blood next to his truck. He was shot multiple times. Kamaya managed to call 911. She did her best with CPR until the medics arrived on the scene. There's a lot of video footage from body cam of different officers on the scene. So in any of these shows, you're going to see this scene. And Kamaya is genuinely very upset. She seems totally surprised. She has genuine tears running down her face. She has blood on her from trying to revive her husband. And she's pretty confused and hysterical. She even tried to crawl into the ambulance with Ty to go with him to the hospital before they pulled her out. It's so sad that they like can't go. Oh, I know. She's really upset. The police said that her reaction was in line with somebody who was extremely distraught and concerned about their husband. Yeah. So she had called his dad, Tyrone Jr., at some point, and he had arrived in time to see his son being wheeled to the ambulance, which is a horrible moment that he has to relive multiple times, like on the stand and on these true crime documentaries. And it's obviously extremely hard for him to talk about every time he tears up. Talking about how he had hope, obviously. You always have hope. But he could tell that his son's head from the back was blown off. And his eyes were still open. But even though he had a pulse, it just, it did not look good, obviously. Not much later, his wife Ashanti would collapse into a doctor's arms after they told her that they had fought for Tyrone the Third, but he was far too gone. Ugh, so sad. And the whole family was reeling. I mean, you... You can see how much respect and love his family and his greater community had for him and the way they speak about him. So they even have Tyrone Jr., who they asked to remain on the scene so they could ask him questions. And he's, he's so confused. Like, he's just saying, like, why? He doesn't even live here. How could this happen? He doesn't have beef with anyone. This doesn't make any sense. Like, no one would even really, like, know he was there. It doesn't make any sense. I think for his father, it very much felt like the danger for his son was like out in the world. He was in the military. He imagined that the danger to his son was like in a foreign country during a deployment, not here in the driveway of his house. He talks about how your house should be your haven. It should be your safe place. And this was really terrifying and confusing that it had happened while Ty was home. Yeah. That's so scary. And it's his home too. So it's like- It's his house. So he feels responsibility. Like I should have somehow protected him, which is of course what all parents feel, even though 
they can't rationally. And also, like I said, Ty was not the guy that would have beef with anyone, which was this word like Ty having beef with people came up so many times. Like, did he beef with anyone? Was he having beef with anyone? But that's just like, he did not. The answer is no beef. Like you, Andy, being a vegan, there was no beef in his life. This is really confusing. This was a guy who had done everything right his whole life. He had always gotten along with people. He had been somewhat of a straight arrow. He didn't do drugs. It did not seem like he was having any sort of an affair. Both Kamaya and his dad seemed very genuinely upset and surprised at the scene. So there was no clear red flags or alarm bells going off like we often see with how especially a spouse responds to finding their loved one deceased. So right away, I think that the police were concerned that this was going to be a difficult case because there was somewhat of a random nature to it. And the other thing was that there were a lot of military veterans on the force and they knew that he was an active duty sergeant in the army and they felt a very grave responsibility to do him right, to solve this for their fallen brother. And they immediately jumped right into the investigation. I feel like even though we're talking midnight on New Year's Eve, it was like everyone was there. They had a canine unit already there. And they managed to track the scent that was like basically went like down the street around the corner where there was a house for sale. And that's where the scent stopped. So they believe that the person had parked around the corner. And then fled and gone back to their car. And that's why the scent disappeared at that point. So they're thinking the person's on foot. They thought that the person was on foot at least for this little bit and then got into a car. Wow. Okay. So this was not like a drive-by situation. Yeah. That was what I was imagining. Yep. Nope. It's, it seems like this person got out and laid in wait potentially. Crazy. That's like bold. They also picked up five spent shell casings as well as one spent bullet that had clearly passed through Ty's body as it had blood evidence on it. The shell casings and bullet found indicated that the murder weapon was a 9mm semi-automatic pistol. Okay. So now they just have to find the person and that murder weapon to compare. So without any obvious suspects, the police and Tyrone Jr. initially suspected that this was a robbery gone wrong. There's some conflicting reports on the different shows you can watch. On Snap, it's like one guy who's talking about how St. Joe's Township, which is where they were living, is actually a relatively crime-free area and that in the 35 years that he's been working there, there's only been six homicides or something. But then also you have Tyrone Jr. who's saying the greater Benton Harbor is a relatively low-income area and he knew that this family is pretty well-known in the area. So they know that he has a great job. He has a great truck. He sometimes wore jewelry. He had just taken a bunch of money out while he was there at the same time. So he's thinking that maybe knowing that he's home, it got out, and they know that he does well for himself, he became a target somehow. I mean, it's like when you don't have any idea what it could be and you're trying to piece together something that makes sense. Well, you can see also how much his father is involved in this investigation and how hard he's going to tap his own network, his own community, to look at social media posts, to try to make sense of this in his own head. And I think that there probably also was a big feeling of wanting it to be someone who was just a random burglar. 
that would be the only thing that would make sense. It would never make sense that it was somebody that they knew or loved. So the authorities looked at this first, this theory, but ultimately it did not make sense because Ty's wallet was still at the scene, had all of his cash and credit cards inside. The keys to the truck, which was a relatively new, very nice truck, were still at the scene too. So somebody could have just grabbed the keys and driven off if the whole point was stealing the truck. Yeah. That would have been a better escape plan. Exactly. So obviously this motivation was not to rob him. The second theory was that maybe this was a case of mistaken identity, that it was targeted, but that Ty had not been the person who was supposed to be targeted. This was also a theory that Tyrone Jr. was exploring because it seems like his stepson, and again, this is another thing where on like one show they said it was Ty's half-brother. Another thing, they said it was his stepbrother. But in any case, one of his younger brothers had apparently gotten caught up with a bad crowd and had gotten himself into some legal trouble. And he had specifically, I think, stolen a cell phone from some guy. And there had been some talk of this guy that he had stolen the cell phone from retaliating. And it seems like this younger brother drove a truck that was similar to Ty's. Okay. So... Was the dad actually thinking that that was what it was? Like, was he convinced that? Yes. They have a video of him talking to the detectives and bringing up social media posts and saying, I think that this could be a case of mistaken identity because of my stepson and some of the trouble he's been in. So sad. Yes. And he is very willing to talk about it. And his brother was completely willing to come in and also discuss what happened. And the police very thoroughly vetted this theory. So his brother came in, as well as the guy that he had been fighting with. But not only had the cell phone been returned and there was no longer any bad blood between the two, the other guy had been in another city miles away on New Year's Eve and had a totally solid alibi. Okay. Furthermore, the police had received the results of the autopsy by now, and some of the shots that hit Ty were so close that he had gunpowder residue on his face. Whoa. So it was someone he knew. Yes. And that means that there was no way it was a mistaken identity because when he got close enough to him, he definitely would have known it was the guy, right guy. Ashanti also talks about how her son had dreads. He had long dreads. And obviously, Tyrone has a very short military haircut. So it seems kind of impossible that it was really a mistaken identity in this case. Once again, though, as the dad, like just wishful thinking that maybe that could be a solution. Yeah, absolutely. So they have nothing at this point. So they start tracking back all of Ty's movements from the moment of the shooting backwards, where he was, who he interacted with for the entire time he had been in Michigan. And earlier in the day, they found out that he had bought some ammunition at Walmart So they pulled that security footage and it looks like he had had some sort of run-in with a group of guys. Now, there's nothing overtly aggressive apparent on the security camera footage, but it was a new lead. Like, who are these guys? He seems to be talking to them. What were they talking about? What was going on? Why was he buying bullets, right? Yeah. It's not like your normal Walmart pickup. I can't tell you why he was buying the ammunition. I did not find that out in my research. But this also did end up being a dead end because it turns out that these were just a couple guys that were old high school pals who had simply run into him at the Walmart and they'd all like kind of talked, hung out, checked out together and then gone their separate ways. 
So he was going to Walmart for bullets for a different reason. We don't know why. We will never know why. Crazy. Yeah. So there was also a shooting at a party at 5.30 in the morning, only a few miles away from Tyrone Jr.'s house. So that was like five hours after or six hours after? Yes. So they looked into whether these shootings were connected or even if this was just some random crazy person in the same night shooting two innocent people out of the blue. And they found out that they were not at all connected. Ty had not been to this other party. And apparently the shooting at the other party had occurred between two individuals who had a longstanding rivalry and vendetta. So everyone at that party knew exactly why, who shot who and why. And Ty had nothing to do with it. So this is all getting very discouraging. And Tyrone Jr. was not only concerned that his son's murderer wasn't going to be brought to justice. He was genuinely very concerned for his family because if they don't know who the murderer is and they don't know why Ty was targeted, they don't know who else they're coming for. That's so scary. Yeah. They talked about how they were like keeping everybody inside. And there was like this one moment where Kamaya like went to walk outside and he like grabbed her back and he was like, don't you go out there alone. I'm not going to let this happen again because he was like, I lost my son. I'm not going to let anything happen to my remaining loved ones. So they were living in terror at this point. And the family really was turning towards one another for support. Kamaya's birthday was on the third. So she turned 22 only two days after her husband was killed. I can't. Only 22. So young. So Ashanti said that everyone was hurting, but they were all really focused on Kamaya as she had suffered the biggest loss. Not only her husband, but also the father of her child, and really the one who took care of the whole family. The one who kept things in line and made sure bills are paid and took care of everyone. He was the rest of her life. Yes. So they held a vigil for Ty on Kamaya's birthday, and the whole family was really touched by the outpouring of love and support. Kamaya's mother and sister came from the Georgia area to be with her as well. And it was sometime between the day after the shooting and the 10th of January, that the police finally got two really solid leads. The first came from our favorite type of witnesses, Andy. The nosy neighbors. Yes, a pair of old nosy neighbors. It was an elderly couple from around the corner of Tyrone Jr.'s house, and they were named Walter and Fern Nost. I mean, you can't make that up. You cannot make up Walter and Fern, who are just checking the blinds. They're hiding behind the bushes. Yeah, so they reported that on New Year's Eve, they noticed a newer model black car backed into the driveway across the street from their house, which they thought was suspicious because no one was living there. It was the house for sale. So no one's there, so it seems suspicious that there's a car backed right up into the driveway. Uh, yeah. Walter said he saw a man who was wearing a hoodie exit the car and walk down the street where you'd have to turn to get to the Hassel's residence. And then later he heard gunshots ring out and then the same man returned, got into the car and sped away. And of course, this house happened to be exactly where the canine unit had indicated that the trail had ended. Smart little doggy. But this is also really hard that it happens on New Year's Eve because people are setting off fireworks. In some communities, people fire guns. Like, don't do that, but they do it. So 
it's not like these gunshot sounds are completely uncommon for 11 o'clock on New Year's Eve. No, it's smart timing. Yes. So it seemed very likely that this was their guy. But unfortunately, it had been quite dark. It was rainy out. And the neighbor could not quite give a detailed account of the potential killer because he was wearing a hoodie as well. But they have a black car. But they have a black car that they know seems to be a newer model. But at least they had something now. And they were about to get more. Happy New Year, Jesse. Happy New Year, Andy. And this year, we're starting off fresh with a brand new website powered by Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a small business entrepreneur like Andy or part of a huge enterprise, Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling satin sheets from Shopify's in-person POS system or offering organic olive oil on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, or, of course, cool vintage finds like me, Shopify's got you covered. Even maybe a true crime podcast merch site. (laughs) Maybe. Those of you who shopped with us during the holiday season probably got to experience the new Shopify store. There are just so many benefits to this one over the old system. Shoppers get notifications when the package is mailed out. You get notifications if you sign up for one of Shopify's apps called Shop, where you can actually see the progress of your item that you've purchased. There's so many more benefits to using the Shopify platform on the back end, like inventory management. It's just the list goes on and on, and I could not be more thankful that we finally made the switch. Me too. I got to do some test purchases and it was really fun to use Shopify and easy, like dangerously easy. Yeah, it's scary. (laughs) Andy, did you know that Shopify actually powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States? And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. I'm honestly shocked that it's not more of a percentage because Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lovemurder, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lovemurder to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash lovemurder. New year, a new me. We say this every year. And two weeks later, we're all looking a whole lot like our old selves. But there is one resolution that doesn't take much to reach. And that is smelling better naked. Wait, what? (laughs) Yep, it's as easy as upgrading deodorants. Lumi is a game-changing whole body deodorant designed by an OBGYN to work not only on pits, but also feet, privates, and everywhere else you could get odor. No matter where you use it, Lumi is clinically proven to block odor all day long, all thanks to its one-of-a-kind pH-optimized formula. And they've got over 275,000 five-star reviews to show for it. And I know many of us will be getting our butts back into the gym as part of those resolutions. It always seems like the gym is totally crowded in January. And then they have these like awesome wipes for those moments where you don't have time for a full shower. The wipes in the deodorant are like a perfect team for you if you just need to sweat, wipe, and run. Yeah, the wipes for the travel are spectacular. Cannot be thankful enough for those. 
when I'm in the Delta Lounge after a <laughs> red-eye fight, trying to freshen up a little bit. It's a lot better than splashing water in the pits. You've been on like six different flights in the last week, so you absolutely know. I do. Lumi was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how normal BO was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. It's clinically proven to block odor all day and control odor for up to 72 hours. How? Unlike certain deodorants that try to mask odor with fragrance, Lumi is formulated and powered by mandelic acid to stop odor before it starts. More like a pre-orderant. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like mini body wash and deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for our listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code LOVEMURDER at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com and use code LOVEMURDER. On January 10th, 2019, so about 10 days or so after the shooting, the police received an anonymous tip. This was a woman who said that she had a son who was in the military and stationed with Kamaya and Tyrone. And she said, look at the wife. She's got a boyfriend. And I think they both have something to do with this. Unreal. Unreal. Guys, if you watch these videos, it is an Oscar-worthy performance because you are fully on Kamaya's side watching these videos. You're like, this is exactly how I would respond. Watching it, like crying, trying to get in the ambulance, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like how I would be if something happened to Nathaniel. I'd be shocked. I'd be stunned. I'd be upset. I'd be wanting to be with him. Yeah. So this is surprising. Well, there is a possible outcome where she doesn't know that he was going to be shot. Exactly. And that's what the police believe. They reached out to the military police in Georgia to speak to the people that are in their unit that they're close to that might have an idea of what was going on. Like, these are people that they were deployed with. These are people that they are very, very close to. They live with, basically. Crazy. When did you have time to have a boyfriend when you were deployed with your husband in South Korea and before that you were having a baby? Well, it turns out that they were not bunked together during their deployment. Okay. Is that where she scooped up her new boyfriend? Yes. So they are, like, in the same country area. Yes, they're in the same place. I think they were in the same military base, but they were not physically sleeping together at night for whatever reason. And I don't know. I really can't tell you what the rules are about that. I don't know if it differs. I don't know if it's... Well, and some people don't follow the rules. Yeah. I mean, they don't. But like, I don't know if like <laughs> deployments are different, obviously. Well, they're obviously different than when they're at home at their normal base. But for whatever reason, they were not bunked together. Crazy. So there were a couple people that talked. There was a couple people that spoke about awareness of this affair. While in Korea, Kamaya had struck up an affair with a man named Jeremy Quayar, whom they called Quay. One of the guys said that Kamaya and Quay were battle booze, which is apparently a term for when you have a lover for deployment. Okay, but she's married. Yeah, I mean, I can, it all could also be more than deployment. It could be like for basic training or something like that because I went down like a, a Reddit rabbit hole. One was like, what's the worst battle boo story you've ever read or heard about or experienced? And it was like all of these horrible cases of people who should not be banging, banging each other in the military. So 
these soldiers that did talk to the military police said that they knew for a fact they were having an affair because one of the guys had actually like caught them in bed together. Oh, yikes, guys. Yeah. A couple of these friends who were close to Jeremy had kept it on the DL for him. And as far as these guys knew, Kamaya and Quay or Jeremy were still together. And even worse, eventually it came out through multiple conversations that Jeremy had purchased two guns, one in October and one in December, from one of his friends, including a nine millimeter Ruger that would match the murder weapons profile. But even more than that, apparently Jeremy was back on base on January 3rd, and shortly thereafter, they had a battalion meeting about their fallen brother and talking about what happened to Tyrone and it being investigated. And one of Jeremy's friends said that he pulled them aside and said, I took care of that. That was me. I did it. I finally did it. Bragging about it? Yeah. He said that he essentially laid in wait, stalked him, had cased the location. There had been missed opportunities, apparently. And that that day he had waited for him to come out of the house when he was alone. And then he had shot him and stepped further while he was on the ground and confirmed the kill, meaning that he shot him at close range to make sure that Tyrone was dead. So disgusting. Mm -hmm. So when they had that information, they were able to look up what kind of car this Jeremy Cuellar had, and it matched the description that the witness had given. And even more than that, this car that belonged to Jeremy had been caught on license plate readers in Michigan heading back to Chicago while he was on holiday leave there. Duh. So Jeremy Cuellar was 24 years old around this time. He had grown up in Chicago, and it seems like he had come from a troubled background, but he had managed to keep his nose clean for the most part and had married very young. That's right. Kamaya's lover wasn't just a potential murderer. He was also an adulterer. Oh, my God. Was his a bunk boo banger, too, or? No. So she, I think she was a civilian. I'm pretty sure his wife. I don't think she was in the military, but it doesn't sound like Kamaya was his first battle boo. Battle boo. That's right. Battle boo. Bunk buddy boo. Bunk bunny. I kind of like. <laughs> Bunk butts. Yeah. So it, he had a wife. They had uh, evidently gotten married very young. They were having some problems. And after working some odd jobs, eventually Quay had joined the army as well. Okay. And now, according to the sources, he was allegedly madly in love with Kamaya. He was willing to divorce his wife for her. He was risking his career with the military for her. He wanted to raise her son, Tyrone's son, with her. It's not your job or place. And he had obviously murdered his romantic rival to be with Kamaya. So they immediately got an arrest warrant for him. And they went and arrested him. And then they also had a search warrant. And they searched his house after the arrest. They found a hoodie matching the one described by the neighbors. Oh, my God. They also found a receipt that he had paid cash for a GPS unit. 
ostensibly so it wasn't on his phone that he needed directions to go back and forth from Chicago to Benton Harbor. But you're going to save the receipt. But you're going to save the receipt. (laughs) Come on. And it wasn't like he didn't have his phone with him because he pinged off of cell phone towers between Chicago and Benton Harbor no less than three times. So they found out he was definitely stalking Tyrone and trying to find the right time to hit. So they want to speak to Kamaya as soon as possible before, I mean, her lover's not going to be able to get any word to her, obviously, but they need to speak to her. So they actually called Tyrone Jr. and said, hey, we want to go over some things. Can can you bring Kamaya in with you? And we'll talk to you both. So they're playing it very casually. And meanwhile, Kamaya has been staying at Tyrone Jr.'s house this entire time. Everyone's taking care of her. They're grieving together. Nobody thought that she had an affair partner at all. And so Tyrone Jr. has been very instrumental in this investigation. So he's like, sure. And she had no qualms about going. She was cool as a cucumber. No problem. So they get there and they basically say, okay, Kamaya, you come here. And they take her through like a secure area. Okay. And then as soon as the door shuts, they're like, Tyrone, you can go. And he was like, wait, I thought you had to ask me some questions. He's like, no. And so he tried to hang around for a while. He's like, I'm just going to wait for her so I can take her home. And they're like, you should go home and get some rest because this is going to take a while. This might be all night. So at that point, he's like, what the hell is going on? This is his daughter in his heart. This is the mother of his grandchild. He's really worried about her. He's really worried about her being interrogated or mistreated. He's concerned. He was up all night being worried about what was going on and how how she was faring and how she was being treated in there. This is also the night before Tyrone's funeral. So he said that he was completely stressed out. It was only hours until he had to bury his son. And he doesn't know where his daughter-in-law is or (sighs) if she's okay. Well, she's at the police station. So the police at first, are not entirely convinced that she had anything to do with this murder plot, but they are 100% convinced that she had an affair. And it seems like from the get, she tries to deny the affair. She tries to say, no, we were just really close friends. We were not battle booze, but battle buddies. We spent a lot of time together, but there was nothing romantic going on. So then they tell her, well, we have the testimony of these guys. And they say they caught you in bed and they say this and they say the other thing. And she was like, okay, well, yes, I was having an affair. And yes, maybe Jeremy had said something along the lines of like wishing he could get rid of my husband at some point, but I didn't think he was serious and I certainly wasn't involved or aware of any plan. And she seems very straightforward. She seems convincing. She doesn't seem super nervous. So they had called in this special detective who had been with the force for 25 years and he was a specialist in polygraph and interrogation. I thought you were going to say lying, but same. (laughs) Same, same. And so he's like, okay, cool. If you have nothing to hide and it was just an affair and you didn't know anything about the murder, this is tragic. You're a victim too, obviously. Would you mind jumping on a lie detector test just to prove that what you're saying is true? And she was like, no problem. Absolutely. I will do anything to clear my name and show that I love my husband. So she jumps right up on that polygraph 
And she fails miserably. Stop. She was lying. She is just a really, really good liar. I mean, this is really unbelievable. She really should have gone into acting. She missed her calling here. So when she comes out from the polygraph, this guy, state police, first lieutenant, detective Andrew Longusky, is kind of like, hey, I've got some bad news for you. Number one, you failed the polygraph. Number two, we got your boy in Georgia. And he's spilling the beans. He is talking. I suggest you get your version of events out first, and then we can see what we can do for leniency for you. And this was not the case. Jeremy had been Miranda'd, and he had dummied up. So he was like, I want a lawyer. I'm not talking. So he hadn't said anything. But of course, they're allowed to say whatever they want. They could say, which is kind of crazy. It is kind of crazy. They can just straight up lie to you while you're in custody. And she had also been Mirandized at this point. So she is aware that anything she says at this point can be used against her. So she explains that her relationship with Ty had not been very good since the birth of their child. She said that she no longer felt like Ty was giving her the attention she deserved. He was not affectionate. That he was not pulling his weight with the baby, that she felt like they had the same job and they had the same responsibilities. But when she came home, it was her responsibility to take care of the baby, even though they both equally had the same type of day job. So she was just getting frustrated. Now, I think that everyone has different needs, but there's a lot of evidence that Ty was a very loving husband. He had her in his phone as my queen. Yeah. He left a party to bring her plates of food. Yeah, come on. I know. It's just like I know some people are just definitely need like more attention than others. I can understand I am one of those people. <laughs> I'm a high attention bitch over here. But at the same time, like from the outside, no one could see that he was at all dismissive or seemed like a bad husband to her in any capacity. Also question about bringing the food from the party. Did she request the food? She might have. I don't know that for sure. No one knows that. Well, we don't know whether he said, do you want me to bring you a plate, babe? And she said yes and jumped on that opportunity or whether she requested it. Yeah. Okay. We don't know. And we'll get into how this all plays out later. So she's explaining that she was already unhappy in the relationship when she was deployed to Korea in February of 2018. In Korea... She befriended Jeremy. So at first it was not romantic. The two would commiserate about their failing marriages. Now, Kamaya doesn't say this in the initial interview, but it later comes out from Jeremy that he was already getting it on with other females at this point and that Kamaya was such a buddy to him that she even got some plan B for one of the other girls he was sleeping with. Gross. I know, on his behalf. Before the two of them started knocking combat boots. If you're going to like cheat on your partner, wrap it the fuck up. Oh my God, seriously. You have to get plan B that's really foul and rude. Yeah, I don't think you're thinking about respect to your partner, if that's what you're no, doing to begin no, with. at all. Mm-hmm. So I think that it took about two months for the affair to start and turn romantic and sexual. Kamaya said that Jeremy caught way deeper feelings than she did. She admits that one day while they were in bed together, Jeremy said that he was going to take care of her husband so they could be together. 
Kamaya alleged that she didn't think he was serious and she still is maintaining at the beginning she didn't really take him very seriously. But eventually, within 30 minutes, basically, of First Lieutenant Longusky, like really asking her these questions and being on her side, she finally says that it had started then. So it wasn't that she didn't take him seriously. It was like that day in bed that they seriously started planning her husband's murder. She said that or the detective said that? She said that. So she admitted that they started planning the murder then in bed in Korea. She said that Jeremy had come to Benton Harbor three times before he actually killed Tyrone on New Year's Eve. Ugh. Each time, Ty had been surrounded by too many people for Jeremy to get his kill shot on. So she kind of quickly unravels. Yeah, but it's very weird. Detective Langusky also says that she's like one of the coldest people he's ever interviewed in his 25 years because you see this video of her and she's kind of just straightforward telling him as if it's matter of fact. And she says, yeah, I feel like I'm guilty too because she had been texting and Snapchatting Jeremy throughout the night. And so he asked her at one point, do you feel like you guys were in it 50-50 about her and Jeremy and this murder plot? She says, quote, yeah, because I knew all about it. And like I said, I probably could have stopped it. But the reason I didn't was because I felt like he would be mad at me or, and she kind of pauses and the detective says, wouldn't love you anymore. And she said, yeah, because I wasn't getting that love at home anymore. Kamaya also admitted that Ty's $400,000 life insurance benefit was part of the reason. So sad. Mm -hmm. He asked her straight up if that was part of the reason why she wanted to kill her husband. And she said, yes, it was part of it. I mean, this also detective is like really great. He, he's on camera like talking to her and she seems sorry, like kind of sorry, but not sorry enough. Not sorry enough to like get, uh, get uh, what's it called? Lesser term. No. Yeah. To get any sort of deal. It's clear that she was the impetus behind this murder. In a couple of different ways. Yes. And she was saying that she does have remorse and that if she could go back, she wouldn't do it again. And he's like, because you put your needs over his life. He's like, do you think his life was worth $400,000? And she's like, no. But like, he was like really putting it to her in that way to get the feels out. And this is all happening like the night before his funeral. This is happening at three in the morning. By the time she cracked and confessed, it's three in the morning on the day of his funeral. Wow. So yeah, by the time this whole confession comes out, they obviously arrest her as well. And again, it's Ty's funeral. So they did eventually, I'm not sure if somebody visited him at the house or how they broke the news, but they broke the news first to Tyrone Jr. Yeah, of course. And where's the baby? The baby, I think, was still, he might have gone home with Kamaya's parents at that point because remember they had come for the vigil. And obviously there was a lot going on. So I think he had been with Tyrone Jr. and Ashanti for a couple days. But I think at this point, maybe he had gone home with Kamaya's family. Okay. And he was stunned. He says later he thought he was still in denial because it was almost too hard to believe. <sighs> so sad. By the time he told his wife, she said that she just screamed because this was not only a woman that they considered their daughter, this is a woman who had been living in their house, eating their food, grieving with them. Speechless. What do you even say? 
the betrayal is so gigantic that there's no word for this to find out it was for $400,000 and so she could be with her lover who, by the way, was in the same unit as their son, the man that's supposed to be protecting him and he's supposed to be protecting because they're supposed to have each other's back. It is just such a violation and a betrayal on so many levels. It gets worse because when Kamaya was arrested, she obviously had to get an attorney. And one of the things that she had to decide on was who was going to get custody of her baby. And she said, my mom. And so now her mom has sole custody of Tyrone the fourth. And they're like, our son isn't here to get custody or to say, I want him with my family. Because she murdered him. Because she murdered him. So essentially they had lost their son, their grandson, and the idea of family, safety, security, who they thought their daughter-in-law was in one fell swoop, which is kind of like what you were talking about earlier is that it's horrible, but almost better to imagine that it's some random burglar, some crazy person on New Year's Eve just shooting off their gun. Tyrone Jr. would have never put this together. No. There was too much love and trust. They had basically lost everything. I mean, and losing their grandson means that that was like the last little piece of tie that they had to cling to, too. Well, I'm hoping that changes. I don't know if it has. I don't know if it has, to be honest. In July of 2019, Kamaya went on trial first. Her defense attorney attempted to get the videotape confession thrown out. But it was ruled admissible, so it's going to be part of her trial. Yeah, I'm going to say that that's going in. I mean, they said that she apparently, like, talked to another detective for, like, 50 minutes right at the beginning, and then they transferred her to the state police, and there was a wait. She was given ample time to have food, water. She was definitely Mirandized. And then... There had been like some time for her to like chill out a little bit between these two things. And then when she got, I think it was like from midnight to 3.30 or 4 or something that she was really in the interrogation. So the judge ruled that this wasn't a case of her not understanding or her not being aware of what her rights were. And there didn't seem to be like there was excessive cruelty involved in this interrogation. So the judge had said the confession stays. So the defense went with the fact that Kamaya's confession, well taped, was coerced after these hours of interrogation that she was there. They said that Kamaya denied any knowledge of Jeremy's actions or that she knew that the murder was actually going to happen. It was just that it was three in the morning and she was exhausted and she was tired and she had just suffered this loss. And so she was just agreeing with whatever the detective was saying. You would never, you would never if you weren't involved. No. So the prosecution said, okay, fair enough. That's fine. But why don't I offer you, the jury, some more evidence and you tell me whether you think this was coerced? Turns out that Kamaya had deleted her Snapchat account a couple days after the murder. Now, we all know that Snapchat messages disappear into the ether. But the truth is they can be recovered. Unless you delete your Snapchat account. And Kamaya had deleted her Snapchat account, but Jeremy had not. So they could use his account to go into the back end and see all of these conversations that these two little smarty pantses thought were just going to disappear. And you will find in these messages that she was absolutely a 
full conspirator, planner, pusher of this murder. And in fact, on the night of the murder, Jeremy was already headed back to Chicago. He said, just couldn't do it. Not happening. This was like his fourth attempt, I think. I can't do it. I can't get him within my sights. It's just not working. And she demanded that he come back because he was going to bring her food and he'd be alone. And she's, you get your ass back here and you do it now because it needs to be done on this timetable. And the reason it did was not just so she could get this death benefit, but also because they were inviting his little sister to come stay with them in January and she didn't want his sister living with them. So gross. It's incredibly gross. Well, even more damning was a recording of a jailhouse phone conversation Kamaya made to her mother. In the call, she admitted that she had been part of the murder plot saying, quote, I'm in the jail because I know what was going on. I knew what was going on with Tyrone. And her mom, to her credit, gave her a dressing down a little bit because Kamaya said essentially that she obviously had been having this affair and that she didn't want her mom to be disappointed in her when she found out that she had been sleeping with another person and she wanted to end her marriage. And plotting a murder. Well, that's what her mom said. She was like, oh, no, 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 no. Girl, you are 22 years old. She's like, you was living a double life. You had your husband killed. And you're talking about I'd be disappointed? No, I'm disappointed in this, is what she says. Yeah, I'm disappointed in this. Her mom literally asked her next if somebody was coercing her. She was like, is somebody putting you up to this, saying that you had some part in this murder? Is somebody telling you to say this because this feels like it's not even real? It feels like I'm in a TV show or something. Yep. And she said, no, they're not, mommy. So, so much for coercion. Once again, the parent just trying to believe that. (laughs) You have to believe. I would have to believe that. Parents are locked in a horrible relationship from the parent of a killer and a parent of their victim, which is, I don't think that there's any parent in the world that would want their child to become a killer. Like the killer's family is also part of that, unless, you know, it was some sort of mistreatment that made them turn into that monster. But other than that, I think a lot of our cases, the parents were mostly well-meaning and surprised. And it sounds like Kamaya's mother was. Kamaya did not take the stand in her own defense. I don't think that would have helped her at this point. I don't think there was anything she could have said that would have disputed those two very strong pieces of evidence. And apparently the jury did not either because it was not a long deliberation. They basically like went out in the afternoon and they came back first thing in the morning. Oh, no. And Kamaya was found guilty of first degree murder. There were three charges, but first degree murder was the big one because in Michigan, that carries a mandatory life sentence with no possibility of parole. Shit. LWAP. So Jeremy's trial was set to begin a month after Kamaya was sentenced, and the deck was truly stacked against him. They had the soldiers that he had told about the murder and the affair, the guy he had bought the guns from, which they did not actually recover the gun. He actually got rid of it somewhere in Chicago. Oh, so he did one thing, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They had the cell phone tower and license plate reader evidence that showed his little jaunts, little murder jaunts back and forth between Chicago and Benton Harbor. And they also had Kamaya's taped confession, which the judge had said they were going to allow in at Jeremy's trial. Okay. And after witnessing Kamaya get life in prison, 
throw away the key, baby. You're done. You're cooked. Jeremy decided to try his luck with a plea deal, which his attorney definitely strenuously went for. You don't get a plea deal. Well, he did. Ugh. <laughs> Your face. What? Yes. In exchange for a guilty plea, he pled guilty to second degree murder. Wow, just second. He pulled the trigger. This is just the way they did the deal. You're not going to be disappointed in a sentence. He got 65 years in prison with no possibility of parole until he served those 65 years, which will make him 90 years old. I mean, I do not think that this man is going to see much of life outside of prison. I know. It's just like... But this is not the end, Dandy. At the sentencing, when Jeremy Cuellar is leaving the courtroom, he looks like he desperately wants to speak to Tyrone Jr. So he's trying to talk to him and they're basically pushing him out of the courtroom and he's saying, I, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. This is just incredible. A few days later, Tyrone Jr. agreed to go to the prison and meet Jeremy and their nearly hour-long conversation, it's like 56 minutes and 55 seconds or something, was videotaped and it's on YouTube. It is ABC 57 News who posted it. You guys can look it up. I think I'm going to link it in the notes. And I watched the whole thing. I cannot tell you the amount of respect I have for Tyrone Jr. He had such incredible composure and grace and just kept it together so well while he was talking to the man who murdered his son. And this is the first time that we get Jeremy's story at all because he didn't have a trial and he hadn't spoken to anyone and he hadn't spoken to any media outlets. So this is the first time we're hearing it from Jeremy's side. And he went into a lot of detail. The whole thing about Plan B, we know from Jeremy in this conversation with the man he's murdered's father, which is way too much information. They have this first initial conversation for, I would say, probably about 12 to 15 minutes. And he says essentially he wanted to talk to him to apologize, to clear his conscience. He had found God. He had started reading the Bible. And he realized he wanted to answer any questions that Tyrone Jr. might have and really tell him the full story and speak to him man to man because he does look and seem like he has a lot of remorse. Which is more than Kamaya ever showed because she just straight up didn't even look at her in-laws and was like, nope. Yeah, I mean, he clearly didn't want to do it if he went four times. And that's what he's saying. He said that there was actually six occasions in which he was supposed to kill Ty. And he said that at every single one of those, except for the last one, he could not do it. He got cold feet. He did not want to do it. And he was, like, even telling him, like, oh, you know, that club that's, like, around the corner from the grocery store and, you know, where your trash cans are by your driveway. Like, he's talking to Tyrone Jr., telling him about these different events in which he couldn't really do it, but also it, it's clear he didn't really want to do it. Mm -hmm. And he said that he was totally played. He felt completely manipulated by Kamaya. And... During this conversation at the part of the early beginning still, at one point, Tyrone Jr. said that he could tell that Jeremy was a good dude, basically, down deep. And that made Jeremy start crying. So he starts crying. He kind of like 
fall. Like he ducks off the, the camera. You don't see him for a second because he's crying because he just desperately wants Tyrone Jr. to know what he's feeling and how bad he feels. And so him saying that really struck a chord. And at that point, he said, well, do you want me to tell you everything? Like really everything because we have an hour here so I could tell you literally everything. And Tyrone Jr. says, sure, just tell me it all. And that's when he tells them about how they became friends, how he apparently didn't have a car. And so she was driving him around and she was taking him places and just a lot of detail about how he got like suckered into this relationship and what his part was in it and how he would pay for her gas and offer to buy her food. And she was like, oh, my husband doesn't do this for me. And he was saying that like he was already sleeping with other women and she would buy plan B for at least one, it sounds like, which is, again, disgusting. And that they started just complaining about their spouses and they became friends. And then they started following each other on Snapchat. And one day he's talking about, he's telling this to, by the way, to Tyrone Jr. He is saying that he like woke up from a dream, which it was implied it was a sex dream. And she happened to have called him right at that time. And he was like, oh, you want me to tell you about a dream I had about you? And he said that was like the beginning of it. And then she reached out on Snapchat while they were in some sort of computer lab together. And he's saying this. I'm in shock. I've, I've repeated it a number of times, but I still can't believe it. He's telling him like, oh, she wrote to me. I don't know what this is about, but I'm all wet or something. And he says, I'm not joking. This is a quote. Back then I had butterflies, but really that was the Holy Spirit saying that's an adulterous woman. Now that I've peeped the scriptures. How long is this since the trial? Because like, so he read like the whole Bible. I mean, he had been in prison for a little while. I mean, I think it'd been a year. And he says that too. So he had a little bit of time. He said that he's been in 22 hour lockup for the whole time that he's been waiting for his trial and or sentencing now. So he's had a lot of time to think about this. But I think that I was like, I, I don't know, bro. I think you were still just horny. I don't think that was the Holy Spirit trying to warn you. Yeah. Of anything. <laughs> Those are actually butterflies. Yeah. Or red flag alerts. <laughs> red flag alerts. Could you imagine every time you're horny, it's just like the Holy Spirit going red flags. Also, he's saying that this is an adulterous woman. Bro, you're married. I know. You're married. You're an adulterer. So both of you are wrong in this situation. It's not just her like, oh, the Holy Spirit was saying I should stay away from that adulterous woman. It's like, we're the father and son. What are they saying? <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, my goodness. Obviously, a sexual relationship started and it deepened very quickly, especially for Jeremy into love. He was committed to raising Chunk with Kamaya. I mean, this was extremely difficult for Tyrone Jr. to hear. He's talking about how he had on his phone background pictures of Kamaya and Tyrone's baby. That's not your baby, sir. That's another man's child. And how he wanted to step up and be a dad, how he wanted more children with Kamaya, how he wanted to be with her, and that Kamaya just wanted the money. He also said that he and Ty had only interacted twice and both times... It was already after he had started the affair with Kamaya. And both times, both of the times he described, Ty was just a good guy, a friendly, nice guy. He admitted to Ty's father that the man he had killed had done nothing, nothing wrong to him except for be nice to him. Pretty savage to then kill them. After you have no evidence that this person is a bad person at all, Jeremy asked for forgiveness. And at the end of the conversation, he asked if, Tyrone Jr. would come back to see him again. 
And it honestly seemed like to me that Ty's dad was the dad that Jeremy had always wished he had and still was. Like when he says, like, I really want your forgiveness and I know you don't want to do this. Like, I know you're probably going to be like, oh, fuck this guy. And I probably should burn in hell. But would you come back and see me again? It's like a kid who's looking for a dad or approval. And Tyrone said, true enough, you killed my son. But I know I'm looking at somebody who had a twisted mind at the time. I look at you and I know you, you were not a bad guy to hang out with. You seem like a good cat. I wish this hadn't happened, especially to my son, who I can only visit in the grave. About visiting again, he said, I'm going to have to talk to God and work on that. But I'm going to keep an open mind. I mean, just incredible grace and composure. I just, I can't impress upon you guys enough about that. But he also is still like, he's pretty savage too, because towards the beginning, I think it was like the 12th minute of the conversation that went on for an hour. He also warned him that he's going to have a lot of friends, friends in quotation marks in lockup, because if there are any Bent Harbor guys in prison with him, he said 90% of those guys, they know me, they know Ty, they know our family. We're pretty popular in Ben Harbor. So you're going to have a pretty hard time, I'm just saying. So he is, I think, honestly, kind of like the perfect dad figure. Somebody who is kind and caring and keeps himself composed and offers grace, but also... But also tough. Is also tough. And he's going to be like, you killed my son and you're going to get yours, buddy. It's not going to be an easy road for you back there. Ugh. So both Kamaya and Jeremy have since appealed their sentences. No. Kamaya's attorney argued that her first attorney did not argue enough to get her confession ruled out and that he should have also presented evidence that Ty was abusive and presented a battered woman's defense. There is zero evidence that Ty was ever abusive towards Kamaya. The court said, nah, so she's definitely spending her life in prison. Jeremy Quayar attempted to withdraw his guilty plea, and three different courts denied his request all the way up to the Michigan Supreme Court. So he will be in there till he's 90 as well. What good would that have done if he withdrew his guilty plea? I think then he would have gotten a trial. Got it. But he admitted that he killed him. Yes. So <laughs> I'm not really entirely sure exactly on what grounds he wanted to withdraw his plea, but it was summarily rejected by all of the courts in the land. They said, no, 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 no to you. <laughs> so Tyrone Jr. was very upset about this, too, because I feel like they had had this moment. They seemed to have this understanding. And he felt very much that offering the guilty plea and saying in court that he was guilty of this act was his act of atonement. Yeah. And then for him to withdraw it is a slap in the face. Tyrone Jr., he's on every show about this case, and he will break your damn heart every time you see him because he gets emotional. He is just such an obviously solid guy. But the reason why he says he does all these shows and why he keeps going out and talking about his son is because he wants the world to remember his son as the good man, father, and soldier that he was. He was a great kid. He talks about how... You don't in life get a perfect kid. You don't get a kid that always chooses the right path, that always seems to do the right thing. And the type of guy that you're excited for him to grow up with so that you can be peers and friends with. And he was at 23 years old, finally being that person that was now a man in his own right and was friends with his dad. And he could just 
he's like saying, I don't know even if I told him all the time how proud I was of him. And so this is his chance to repeatedly say how proud he is of his son. Especially if Kamaya is actively trying to appeal and say that she has battered wife syndrome. That would just be more of a motivating factor to me as a parent to be like, I'm going to continue to keep his legacy alive. Absolutely. And he said that he wants the world to remember that he was a sergeant and that he changed his course from college where he had a scholarship to the military because he wanted to serve his country. So we'll remember Sergeant Tyrone Hassel III as that man, that man, that 23-year-old who could have done such wonderful things with his life. And we talk about all the time how there's no such thing as a perfect victim and that people, when their lives are cut short, even after a troubled life, it was the opportunity to change was there. But in this case, this was a kid that had done all the things right, and he still ended up this way. And that's a tragedy. Because he was involved with the wrong girl. Yes. Which his dad kind of warned him about. His dad did kind of warn him about. In conclusion, there was also a part of this hour-long conversation where Tyrone Jr. said, I'm just thinking about how powerful love is, that you were so in love that you felt like you had to do this for love. And I think that that's what this show is all about. It's about the power of love to heal and also to destroy. Yeah, and obviously, like, you don't have to listen to your parents all of the time. But <laughs> maybe sometimes, even if you pretend like you don't want to listen to them, maybe you should with certain things. Maybe it would be good. Yeah, just take a beat. Take a beat if you're young and before you get all tied down. And as always, trust your gut when it comes to love so no one ends up murdered. Welcome to 2024. Bye, guys. Bye. 